Listen to God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive praise from God. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Let's turn to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the challenge of your word. Lord, we thank you for the hope of Christ. Pray that you would expose our sin, that you would point us to our Savior, and that you would comfort us in the gospel. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Sadly, it was a a fairly common experience for the Apostle Paul to be dragged by an angry mob to judgment. On one of those occasions, he was brought by the religious leaders of the city, taken into court, dragged before a judge, and the complaint against him was that he was persuading people to change their religious beliefs. He was bringing discord to the city. Now, the apostle stood ready to make his defense, a defense he'd had to make both in private homes, in public settings, and now in in the legal courtroom. But on this occasion, the apostle never had to speak. It's recounted for us in Acts 18. The judge actually recognizes the foolishness of what's taking place. He tells the the religious murmurers, "If, if you had a real complaint about a serious crime, then I'd listen to you now. But your complaints, they're they're unreasonable. So I dismiss the case. The Apostle Paul walked free, not under the judgment of religious leaders. And surely that memory of the Apostle's 18 months of service in Corinth is in the minds of his readers when he says, I stand under no one's judgment. He, he means, yes, the, the individual judgment that they're bringing against him. He means their collective complaints and murmuring. But more than that, they have the experience of, of legal proceedings against him. Some of them probably at that time having been on the other side. Luke tells us in, in Acts 18 that that the people are so angry at, at Sosthenes, the, the synagogue ruler who brought the charges, that they, they drag Sosthenes out and they beat Sosthenes. And then when the apostle begins his letter to the Corinthians, Corinthians, he says that it's a letter written by Paul and Sosthenes. Likely the same man, man who was 
previously on the other side of the court case, but has now come to faith in Christ and serves with Paul in the gospel. And so Paul is telling the, the Corinthians, in your arrogance, in your pride, you, you expect to stand in judgment over me. But I won't let you judge me. I won't let anyone judge me except God. And for, for Paul, it, it's, it's getting at the, the conflict in the church, but, but deeper than that, we see that Paul is exposing the, the motives of our own hearts. Because you and I are quick to worry about the judgments of others. Perhaps not at the, the dramatic level of, of being dragged into a courtroom, but at the personal level, where we wonder, what, what do others think of me? How will she respond if I, if I do this? What's the, what are the consequences of, of this action? And so looking at this passage this morning, I want, I want us to, to think about judgment. First, the judgment that we need not endure. Second, a judgment we cannot endure endure. And finally, the judgment that we actually are desperate for. First, the Apostle Paul is telling us that, that there's a judgment we need not endure. Look at, look at verse 3. Paul says this, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Now, how many of us could honestly say that? I care very little if I am judged by you. Sadly, for many of us, we would have to flip that sentence completely around. I worry my whole life about what you think about me, is the way we would respond. I mean, think of those, those moments when, when you've just wilted in fear over what someone else thinks. Think of those aha moments you have late at night when you think, oh, if only I had thought of this earlier today. Or those sleepless moments when you just roll over and over again what other people think of you. See, we, very few of us can say what the Apostle Paul says in verse 3. I care very little if I'm judged by you. Because we do care. We desperately care what other people think about us. Now, there, there are a couple of ways, though, that you could, you could actually make the statement that the Apostle makes. A person who doesn't care about anyone else, well, that person just treats other people like dirt. I don't care what you think of me, and so I'm going to treat you like dirt. I mean, it's the sort of Steve Jobs approach to life, the, the founder of Apple Computers who was notorious for getting his own way, yelling at employees. So you can go through life and say, I don't care what you think, and then trample on people. But that's not what Paul is saying. Because, actually, that's pretty easy to do. To dismiss what other people think. I mean, even if it, at, at our core we still really care, we're, we're quick to dismiss it and then just trample over that person. The, the yeah, but mentality we have. Well, he thinks this of me. Yeah, but I know this about him. Where we, where we, we bring other people down so that their opinions don't matter of us. I mean, see, Paul is, Paul is pointing out to us that, that the easy thing for us to do in our pride, I mean, this is where we'll end this morning, verse 7, that, that why are you boasting? It's easy for us to exalt ourselves and to bring other people down. That's how we kind of keep the scales in, in balance. We, 
we think highly of ourselves and we dismiss other people. And so that's one way that you could get by and say verse 3, care very little if I'm judged by you, because I just don't care about you. And so I'm going to trample over you. But that's not what Paul is saying. I mean, Paul has called the, the, the Christians here brothers, sisters. He describes himself as their spiritual father. And so he cares for them. He longs for them. And he says, he treats them with kindness. But he says, I care very little if I'm judged by you. And so how do we do that? How do we, how do we love others? without making their opinions, their response of us, the most important thing. Well, Paul is, is making clear in this passage that, that it's, it's not our responsibility to, to, to bring final judgment on other people. Verse 5 tells us, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. Paul is echoing the the teaching of Jesus from his Sermon on the Mount when Jesus tells his followers, his listeners, do not judge or you too will be judged. He tells them, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? How How can you point your finger at another person's small problem without dealing with your own huge problems? Now, we have, to, we have to be careful here, though. This doesn't mean that Paul is willing to say, well, whatever, do whatever, live however. Because actually, if you just flip a page to chapter 5, Paul is going to say, that guy needs to be kicked out of the church. And so he's willing to judge when, when appropriate, when the motives of someone's heart have been exposed through the, the process of the, the church confronting sin. And so so Paul's saying, don't judge others. Judge nothing before its point in time. It, he's, he's echoing the same thing Jesus is saying. Yes, you're called on to, to make decisions, to judge behaviors as moral or immoral, right or wrong, because there's no way to walk through life without making those kinds of decisions. But he says you need to be careful about your own conscience. And so this then is where if, if, you've, if you've come in here today and you think, yeah, but this feels like the problem to me with Christians arrogant Christians who exalt themselves and spend all of their time kind of pointing fingers at other people. Look how terrible you are. Confess your sin, pointing fingers at the culture and saying, everything's falling apart. And there are times that we as a church need to come alongside one another and confront each other with sin. There are times that we need to be able to take a stand and and speak in the cultural moment about the truth of God's word. But we can only do that if we follow the command of Jesus that we deal with our own hearts first, we deal with the log in our own eye, the plank in our own eye, before we start pointing fingers at others. Now, that doesn't mean you have to scrub your life free of sin. It just means when you go to point out the speck in another brother's eye, he, you go with the expectation he might point out the really obvious sin in your life. He'll point out the plank in your life. But what Paul is telling us is that we need not endure the judgment of others. We need not worry about their opinions of us. Those should not be of highest priority. Paul's shown us a judgment we need not endure, but, but he goes deeper, exposing to us a judgment we cannot endure. Paul says that, that he, he, he doesn't put himself under the, the judgment of, of the Corinthians, 
the Corinthian church or any human court. He says, it's because it's the Lord who judges me. That's what he says in verse 4. He describes the coming of the Lord in verse 5, that, that Jesus Christ will come and expose the, the sinfulness of our own hearts. See, the reason that we need the judgment of God is because our own hearts are so flawed. We're so good at, at giving ourselves a pass while holding people to others to a very strict standard. We're so good at finding the, the specks in other people's eye while, uh, while avoiding the planks in our own eyes. I mean, Paul says in verse 4, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. So he's saying, hey, I, I can't even judge my, I'm not even qualified to ultimately judge myself, to determine my ultimate innocence or standing before God, because my conscience is so distorted that of course I'm going to give myself a pass. Paul is saying there, there's going to come a time when, when the Lord himself is going to expose this is verse 5, and this, this is terrible and frightening. There's coming a time when Jesus Christ himself will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. See, it's only, only the Lord, only Jesus, only God himself can bring that kind of judgment. So you and I, are, are our hearts, our motives, our consciences are never perfectly calibrated. They're always a little bit distorted. My, my dad, I remember him telling the story of, uh, he's, a, he's a car guy, loves cars, and so he's got lots of friends in that industry. And um, I remember the story of a, you know, a 17-year-old had just gotten his license, got a nice fast car, but wanted to soup it up. So the father, who really doesn't want the kid to have any more horsepower, takes it to his buddy at the car shop and says, no more horsepower just adjust the speedometer by five miles. He'll always think he's going faster. Just distort what he sees. Now, that may not be the best parenting strategy and really teach safety on the roads, but, but that's the way you and I live. We're always kind of distorting our own speedometer. Our consciences are never correctly calibrated. We're always willing to give ourselves a little bit of a pass. We don't just do it on the highway when we think, well, I could go a little over the speed limit. We do it in the more serious moments of life. And Paul is saying here, it's only the Lord who can ultimately judge. And, and notice how Paul describes himself, how he describes Apollos or, or Cephas, Peter, how he describes the leaders of the church. Look back at verse 1. He says, men ought to regard us, the leaders of the church, you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the secret things of God. Verse 2 tells us, now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. See, Paul is using the language of a steward, of a household manager, who has no money or power or authority except the master's money, power, and authority. And so, it really doesn't matter what you think of me, because you're not my master. The Lord is the master. Paul is saying that, that we are servants of Christ. Christians, we are servants who follow after God, and so we're required to give an answer. Paul calls us to be faithful, that if you have been entrusted with a, with a responsibility, you must prove yourself faithful, but not faithful by your own standards, not faithful by the standards of others, faithful by the master's standard, because his is the only right standard. 
And so Paul can say to the Corinthians, I care very little if I'm judged by you. Because honestly, there's a bigger judgment. The serious judgment of God, my master. The one who will bring to light the the motives of my heart. And so Paul in verse 6 then says, "Now, Now brothers, he's talking to the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, I've applied these things, the truth about God's judgment to myself and to Apollos. You've held us up as pillars in the church, as leaders in the church. And so I'm applying these truths to us so that you'll see that if, if we can't get past this, if, if our own consciences aren't pure before God, then, then you'll understand that you need this judgment as well. And so he says in verse 6, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. Now, your, your Bible translations might put that saying in quotations, do not go beyond what is written. And the difficulty here is we're kind of, it's like listening to one side of a telephone conversation. We're only hearing Paul's side of the conversation. We don't hear the Corinthian side of the phone conversation. So we're admittedly not sure if this is some kind of Corinthian proverbial saying that everybody in town knew, or if Paul is making sort of a broad general statement about the scriptures. But the, the, the point in either case is clear, that neither Paul nor Apollos can step out from under judgment. That when, when he says, don't go beyond what is written, I, I can't change the rules. I can't change the commands. I am bound by God's instructions in this and in every matter. And so for you to exalt me or for you to exalt Apollos, for you to even take, take pride or pit us against each other is to, to misunderstand the the real judge. God is the real judge. But see, this is a judgment you and I cannot endure. When every motive of your heart is exposed, see, because you already know some of the places where, where others think highly of you and they shouldn't, where you've been able to keep hidden sin in your life, The apostle is saying, Jesus Christ will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. But see, worse than that, there are parts of your life that you are blind to. And going back to Jesus' image of the plank in your own eye, you can walk blindly through life unaware of your own sinful motives unaware of the ways in which you're, you're snatching power or glory or, or, or praise, the, the ways in which you live for the praise of others. And so Paul is telling us, wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. This is a judgment we cannot endure. But thankfully for us, there is a judgment that we're desperate for. You notice the, the way in which, which Paul ends that warning of judgment in verse 5. That Jesus is going to expose the motives of men's hearts, and he says, at that time, each will receive his praise from God. So if you have confessed your sins, then you will receive God's welcome. You will receive God's commendation of, of all that you've done in his name and for his purposes. But more than that, look at, the, look at the questions that Paul asks in verse 7. Questions which really force us to, to think about the gift that God has given to us. Paul in verse 7 
asks, for who, who makes you different from anyone else? I mean, in one sense, this is a really harsh, ironic kind of question. It's as if Paul is saying to us, who in the world do you think you are? Who do you think you are to stand in judgment of me? Who do you think you are to stand in judgment of others? Who do you think you are to stand in the face of God's judgment? And so it's a corrective to us, these questions. Who makes you different from anyone else? Paul here is challenging our pride, our high view of ourselves, our our low view of others when he asks, what do you have that you did not receive? Stop and think about it spiritually. What do you have that was not given to you as a gift? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not? Paul's saying there is no room for pride. There is no room for boasting because everything you have was given to you as a gift. You don't deserve any of it. And so now to stand in front of the church, to stand in front of others, to stand in judgment of them as if, You earned this. It's foolishness. Who do you think you are? And yet, these are also words of grace. Words of grace because it's the the gospel of grace. This is the, the, the economy of grace. Everything you have has been given to you. It's been given to you. Given to you by Jesus. The judgment of God is a judgment we cannot endure. But Jesus was judged in our place. The letter to the Hebrews later in the New Testament makes clear the coming judgment for us. In in Hebrews 9, these are the last verses of, of Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28, we're told that each one of us will face judgment. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. It's the same ominous warning the Apostle Paul is giving us in our chapter. Jesus is coming to expose your sin. You will be judged. But then listen to the the way the the story of grace continues. Just Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And do you hear the story of grace? There's a judgment you cannot endure, but Jesus endured it for you. Jesus Christ came to die in your place once for all to pay for your sins. The sins you, you knowingly confess, the sins that you don't even know you need to confess. Jesus died bearing the judgment of God, a judgment you could not endure so that you you now receive a judgment that you're longing for because when you hear the words that Jesus is coming again, those need not frighten you because Jesus is coming, we're told, to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. See, judgment is coming for all of us. Each one of us will stand before God's judgment seat. And so only if we have put our our hope in Christ, only if we have confessed our sins, can we find forgiveness. And so that's what's what's asked of you today. Confess your sins. Come and find your hope in Jesus Christ because you cannot endure the judgment of God on your own. You need Jesus to stand in your place. And you see here now how this story of grace 
is the only way to empower. The only way to empower us to stop living for other people's judgment of us. I mean, see, why can Paul in verse 3 say, I care very little if I'm judged by you? Because he has been judged by Jesus and forgiven by Jesus. And so if he, if he rightly holds Jesus' thoughts of him, Jesus' judgment of him in its proper place, then I don't care what you think. Jesus loves me. Jesus forgives me. Jesus welcomes me. And so it, it, it's not a dismissive, I don't care what you think because you're not worth anything. It's compared to what Jesus thinks of me. I don't need your affection. I don't need your care. So only when Jesus is at the center of your life can you turn away from the, the opinions of others and not make those the center of your story. But it's only when you understand the gospel of grace that the, the gift has been given to you. You don't deserve it. You can then extend forgiveness and grace and mercy and love to those around you. So you don't dismiss them and just trample over them. You say, I, I can live even, even with the harsh words for me because I've been welcomed by Jesus. So I can extend to you words of grace because I've received grace. See, only here, when you first find your, your welcome in Jesus, can we rightly hold other people in, their, in the proper perspective. We don't, we don't pit them against each other. We don't, we don't say, I'm, I'm with Apollos or I'm with Paul. We say, I belong to Jesus. Jesus, the one who died in my place. Jesus, the one who loves me. See, we're servants of Christ. If you've put your faith in Christ, then you're his servant. You can listen to other people's opinions, but you need not live by other people's opinions. You can accept the correction that rightly comes to you from a brother or sister in Christ because you know that they're pointing you to Jesus. And, and you can live then as a servant. Verse 2 tells us it's required that those who have been given a trust, if you have been given the responsibility, if you've been given the gospel, if the gospel has been entrusted to you, which is every one of us if we're Christians, then you must prove faithful by making the gospel known, by, by living for Christ, by loving others. But we can only do it. We can only shake off the judgment we, we need not endure, the opinions of others, if we recognize the judgment we could not endure was endured by Christ, and in Him we find our hope and forgiveness. Jesus is coming again to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. So find your hope, your rescue in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, even as we hear these words, we, we long for the freedom that they offer. And yet, Lord, my heart is intertwined by, by the opinion, with the opinions of others. My, my motives are twisted and distorted, and so I need your word to correct me. I need your spirit to instruct me. Lord, I pray that you would do that work in our hearts today. Lord, places where we have, have longed for the acceptance of others, Lord, that we would come and find acceptance in Jesus. Places where we have worried about what others think of us, Lord, that we would remember that we are welcomed by you. Lord, places in which you have put us where it's difficult to love those that speak harshly to us. Lord, give us confidence in your grace. Lord, we thank you that you've entrusted this gift to us, this gift of mercy and love, this gift of the gospel to us as a church. 
Lord, let us make the gospel known. So we encourage one another, as we correct one another, as we strengthen one another, so we proclaim the good news. Lord, we thank you for the gift we've received. We thank you for Jesus who took our judgment. So we come praying in Jesus' name. Amen.